Some pretty cool things happening here at Crosswinds lately. Oh my gosh. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> it's good to be able to do on-site ministry again. Thank you. And uh, I just want to highlight a few people real quick. Our, our student director, Wendy Emerson, has done a great job leading NTS Camp and getting us ready for the fall and did an amazing job transitioning all ministry to online. Aaron Collard, our kids director, same thing, did a great job transitioning ministry online and then worked so hard to create safe space for kids to be able to have ministry together again on Sunday mornings. And Shauna Sugars is on our staff is, and she's just been both places doing everything uh, that we've been asking her to. And, and all of our ministry partners, all of our volunteers who give up so much of their time to make ministry possible for kids. I'm just, I'm, I'm floored by just the generosity and the talents that they give. And my name is Brian. I am the student ministries pastor here at Crosswinds. So I get to work alongside all of them and it's a true joy. I'm really looking forward to the time that you and I are gonna get a chance to share together this morning as we dig into God's word a little bit. Last weekend, my family was driving over to my parents' house when over the roaring air conditioner, we heard a rhythmic squeak, squeak, squeak sound coming from the front passenger wheel well. When we arrived at my parents, we used some more of our five senses to diagnose that there was definitely something coming from that region of the car. There was a lot of heat coming from that particular wheel well compared to the other three. There was a distinct burning smell happening there. And I was seeing the possible car repair bill if I got this baby into the shop. So, always overconfident and sometimes underqualified, I took matters into my own hands. And I drove the vehicle into my parents' garage. I broke the lug nuts free, I jacked it up, and I got the tire off. No problem. Now, I should confess that um, this was not my first rodeo with brake repair, and so the heat, the smell, and the squeaking noise was, was all very clearly coming from the, the brake pads were like literally welded to the rotors, it felt like. There was just no give there. And uh, my dad is a pretty accomplished car guy growing up, so he had helped me, or I had helped him many times do something like this. And so the fact that I was able to jack up the car, get the tire off, that was child's play. The teacher, my dad, taught me, the student, all of those things growing up. But getting the caliper off the actual car was proven to be much more difficult. Has anybody in here ever done their own brake repair before? All right, we got a bunch. Man, are those bolts on there tight. I'm not sure what the Hulk is doing working at my mechanic shop, but I could not break them free. I was using a half-inch ratchet, and I was grunting. I mean, I was yelling. I was giving everything I could give to those babies, and they just wouldn't budge. The student was not able to replicate what I had seen the teacher, my dad, do so many times before. And so feeling really defeated, I walked into the house, I interrupted my dad's work, and I said, hey, dad, you know, do you mind coming out and giving me a hand? And moments later, he entered the garage and I asked him, okay, you know, what, what's going on? Why can't I get these things loosened up? Am I not grunting loud enough? Is it my yell? Is it not, what am I supposed to? And he said, this was his, this was his, his commands. These were his instructions. He said, I need you to hold on a second while I find you something that will help. There I was, sweating bullets, frustrated and so over an unexpected brake repair that I didn't want to accept my dad's instruction of just hold on a second. So that's when I, the student, hatched a brilliant idea. I won't wait. Instead, I'll get a hammer and I'll smash the ratchet a few times to see if I could persuade those bolts right off. No need to hold on a second, Pops. You might as well go back inside. Sorry, I bugged you in the first place. So there I was holding onto the ratchet with my left hand and in my right hand, I began to slowly and methodically hit it but there was no give. And so in my frustration, it quickly transitioned to anger and slowly and methodically turned into quickly and recklessly and boy, oh boy, was that a mistake. 
the exact moment, there it is there, that was taken like five days after, the exact moment I hammered down on my hand was the exact moment I realized I am not yet entirely sanctified. <clears throat> Do you remember my dad's instructions for me? Wait, just hold on a second. He was going to get me something that was going to help. So at this point, with a throbbing hand and a blood-soaked glove, I couldn't really do much else but wait upon my dad. And finally, he found what he was looking for. And in 13 seconds, he walked over to the brake caliper, slid a three-foot hollowed bar over the ratchet, and with this newfound leverage, broke him with ease. You see, my dad and I both wanted the same thing. We wanted those calipers, that caliper off the car. Two methods or two ways of trying were tried, but only one resulted in success. The other was complete failure with lots of regrets and intense pain. There's not a single person in this room or watching online that does not want to live a great life, a life that feels complete, a life that produces lasting satisfaction, one that you can look back at the end and be proud of, one that had meaning and purpose and was fulfilling. Everybody wants a life like that one that thrives. We all do. And here's the crazy thing. God wants this for us too. He really does. In Jesus's own words, he tells us this in John 10, 10, when he's comparing the things that he wants versus the things that the world wants, Satan wants for us. He says, the thief comes to only steal, kill, and destroy. I, Jesus, have come so that you may have life and you may have it abundantly. And so even as we are currently dealing with the realities of sickness, a pandemic, joblessness, loss of life, depression, racial unrest, political fatigue, whatever it might be, God is still desiring for us to live an abundant, satisfying, full life. Now remember, my dad and I both wanted the same end result. We wanted those caliper bolts off the car, and my dad told me to wait on his timing. And in my ignorance, in my pride, in my impatience, I said, no thanks. I got this. This is an alarmingly accurate illustration of how you and I conduct our daily life and God's instructions for how we are ought to live it. You and I both want a full life. And God really wants that for us too. But like my dad, God has given us commands that we can choose to obey or we can also choose to disobey. And these commands allow us to achieve the outcome that you and I all desire, a full and abundant life that will spare us some intense pain. But something we just gotta, we gotta know right off the bat is that the things that God is asking, when we live in the kingdom of God, it's a lot different than living in the kingdom of the world. Sometimes things don't always make sense. And God's commands are often contrary to the way that you and I were raised, the things that we were taught growing up, or the party that we follow, or what we see online, or what we were taught at school. And so, with the Spirit's help this morning, my hope is that the command that we're going to investigate today will take hold of us, because it's contrary to what the world says, and it will produce the abundant life that God wants for us, a life that thrives. If we want to thrive in this life, we must serve the world as Jesus did in commands. If you and I want to thrive in life, we must serve the world as Jesus did and as he commands. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and meet me in John chapter 13. And here we're going to encounter a moment that Jesus is having with his 12 disciples right before the famous Last Supper. 
And what we're going to see is that if we want to thrive, we must serve the world as Jesus did and as he commands. So we're going to start right in verse 1 of John chapter 13. We'll read a little bit and then we'll talk. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that he wrapped around him. We'll pause here. Now this account uh, is rich in imagery, but because it took place thousands of years ago, it's really easy to just skip over the importance altogether of what you and I just read. You see, Jesus shocked those around him with his humility and with his service. He absolutely shocked them. I got a question for you. When was the last time you went over to someone's house for dinner, and as you sat down to eat, somebody from that household came over, took your socks off, and started washing your feet for you? When was the last time? Yeah, those would be weird friends, right? We don't practice foot washing like the culture that we're reading about here, but let me ask you another question. Have you ever had a long day, a long physical day? Maybe it was at work, maybe it was outside in the lawn, or you were out running or something, and you came home, you popped off your shoes, and you instantly wondered what that horrific stench was, only to realize it was coming from your own two feet. Anybody in here have stinky feet? One person, Lyric, uh, admitted to it. Thanks, ma'am. Even with the advancement of footwear, of daily showers, of moisture-wicking socks, and transportation methods that we have, feet are still stinky in 2020. So imagine how much more feet smelled 2,000 years ago. Think about it. People didn't have running water like you and I had, and so bathing daily, that was just not something that people did. And uh, people literally walked miles and miles and miles a day, not on concrete sidewalks like you and I have or paved roads, but they would literally walk on rock, on dirt, in sand, in thorns, across animal pastures, just to give you an idea, and they would wear open sandals while doing it. So out of pure hygienic mindset, feet were typically washed when entering a residence or when they returned home because they were just dirty and smelly. And this was a common thing that happened daily. So here's where it gets a little interesting. Back then, when you'd go to have dinner at somebody's house or there was an event or a party, you'd go. It was typically up to the host to provide some hospitality and to have people wash your feet. But the job of a foot washer was reserved for literally the lowest of low in society, slaves. It was typically slaves who washed people's feet. And in fact, according to some Jewish sources, Jewish slaves were actually exempt from foot washing because it was considered so demeaning that only the Gentile slaves could do it, the lowest of lows. And that's why Jesus shocked those around him with his humility and with his service. It says that Jesus rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Jesus' act was so shocking, not because of foot washing itself. We've already touched on the fact that that was common, but because of the role that Jesus was assuming by doing it. Jesus, son of God, 
removed his outer garments and adopted the posture of a slave and served his friends in complete and utter humility. I really want us to grasp this, so let's try to put this in perspective a little bit. Something that's commonplace to us that's also kind of dirty is scrubbing toilet bowls. We do that at our house. We scrub our toilets. We clean our toilets. Imagine if you got a phone call that the Queen Queen Elizabeth II from England was on her way to your home to have dinner, and you find her going into your bathroom, and she's scrubbing your toilet bowl. That would be upsetting. That would be so upsetting, not because cleaning a toilet is significant, that's common, but because the queen is doing it. And so Jesus, he shocks those around him because he's tying himself to this lowly brawl, and it's bringing just this incredible imagery to what's happening. Now, there's an awesome interaction that happens with Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, and that takes place in the very next couple verses, and I encourage you to study on your own time. But we're going to go ahead and jump down to verse 12, and we're going to pick up the story here. It says, When he, Jesus, had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also do just as I have done to you. We got a chance to see a little bit of a highlight of what we call NTS camp, never the same camp. And it's happening here at Crosswinds. Everything's different this year. But historically, we've been able to go on site to Houghton College and have this camp. And there's an annual tradition that our students have really latched onto, and that's the practice of foot washing. And so at the end of camp, there's this moment where we as a group, we share communion. It's a sweet moment. We share communion together. And then kind of the stage is set for foot washing. And anybody and everybody can go to somebody else and say, I want to serve you. Can I wash your feet? And they take you to the foot washing station. And they get down on their knees and they wash your feet. Now, I'll be honest, uh, it's it's uncomfortable when somebody is washing my feet. But I'll say that it's, it's honestly more uncomfortable, um, sorry, it's uncomfortable when you're washing someone's feet, but it's more uncomfortable when somebody's washing your feet. It's really easy to become self-conscious of just how dirty and smelly and linty and long-toenailed your own feet are. And now this person knows all about it, up close and personal. And I would prefer to keep the privacy of my feet in my Nikes, but now this person's seeing everything. And the scripture says that Jesus washes the disciples' feet. He resumed his place at the table and he asked them, do you understand what I have just done for you? And I don't think that the disciples fully understood the gravity of what Jesus had just done, but I do think they were shocked by the action nonetheless. By washing their feet, Jesus was right there, physically in the midst of their filth, of their stench, of their dirt, of their sweat, and yet he washed their feet clean, all of them. But I believe he was pointing to something else much bigger that was on the horizon, and the symbolism is stunning. Hours later, Jesus would be hanging on a cross, and right there, physically in the midst of humanity's stench and filth and dirty sin, and he would wash it clean. The stain of sin that kept man and woman separated from God was being washed clean by the blood of Christ. And what we're seeing is that Jesus not only took the posture of a slave to serve those he called friends by physically washing their feet, but he would go on to give the ultimate sacrifice and service by giving it all 
on the cross for us. And Jesus tells his disciples, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, check this out, you also ought to wash the feet of another's. For I have given you an example that you should also do just as I have done to you. I told us in the beginning, I reminded us that the kingdom of God is much different than the kingdom of the world. In the kingdom of God, its citizens serve one another as the king did. And they posture themselves, they position themselves to serve all because the king had. Jesus' actions were a model that believers are commanded to follow today. Now, Jesus' sacrifice on the cross is not something that we're being asked to necessarily replicate, but his love and his self-giving nature is one that should become natural as we imitate our lives around this concept of serving as Jesus served. And so we can ask ourselves the question, what's our current posture right now? Think about your daily life, the time that you are awake, the hours that you spend day to day, week to week, year to year. What's your posture? Is it one like Jesus's that's full of humility and servanthood? Are we generous with our stuff, our time, our voices, our presence? Are we available to meet people's needs? Are we active in looking out into the community and finding ways in which we can serve like the Lord served? Or have we become self-serving people? Is our time solely spent on the person that we see looking back at us in the mirror with little regard for others? Look, Jesus clearly modeled physical service for us, service for us. He washed dirty feet for his friends. This wasn't glamorous by any means. And so how are we imitating his example of service today to those around us? And who are we serving right now? Jesus continues on in John 13, verse 16. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And I love this about Jesus. He's not asking you or I to do anything that he himself has not already done. And he's saying again, just so that everybody listening understands, I did this. I served you. I served the world. Now I'm asking you to go and do the same thing. And Jesus says, if you do this, if you know these things, if you do what I'm asking you to, blessed are you. If you do it, this word blessed, we use it all the time, right? Say the blessing, bless his heart. You know, we just use that word so frequently. That's a Southern thing. This word blessed literally translated from its Greek means to be supremely blessed. It means to be fortunate, extremely well off. And this one's crazy. It means to be happy. And you and I would say, yeah, that sounds like a good life. We want to be happy. We want to be fortunate. We want to be well off. And that's what God wants for us too. Remember, my dad and I, we both wanted that caliper off the vehicle. But again, like my dad, God has given us commands that we can obey or we can choose to disobey. And here we're met with the command clearly to serve. And if we obey, if we serve the world as Jesus is commanding us to, then I believe we will thrive in this life and we will be blessed for it. But if we don't obey, we'll be smashing our own hand with a hammer and our attempts of living will end and intense pain and regrets. So I do have a question. Why is this such a big deal for God? Why does he care so much about you and I serving? Why does he command us to do this in the first place? Well, I believe that we see clearly here that serving has eternal implications 
for the one who serves and the one who is served. Something miraculous occurs in the lives of those that surrender themselves to Jesus and follow him. First, we are washed clean. Our sin is completely forgiven, washed white as snow. Next, he changes who you and I are. We become more like him as we follow, as we obey, as we imitate Jesus Christ. He transforms our hearts to make us more complete in our love, in our joy, in our peace, in our patience, our kindness, our goodness, our faithfulness, our gentleness, and our self-control. And I love this. We are his and he is ours today, the days to come, and forevermore in eternity. I mean, that's amazing stuff when we come to know Jesus as Savior. That's what he's given. That's what he's done. That's how he served us. It's amazing. And I can tell you, honestly, that being a Christian Being a follower of Jesus is the best thing that has ever happened to me. And I really hope that if you're a Christian, that you feel the same way as well. A couple weeks back, my son Charlie and I, who will be three in October, by the way, were out in the backyard together playing. So Charlie was playing with stuff, and Dad was doing some yard work in the back, and I was kind of down farther in the lawn, and he was up towards the house. And just the way our house works, uh, we have our basement access right outside uh, the back, And so once in a while, Charlie, not once in a while, all the time, he'll venture into the basement, he'll grab something, he'll bring it back out, or he'll go in there and stumble around and kind of come back out. So out of the corner of my eye, I swore I saw him go into the basement. And so I didn't really think a whole lot of it. I waited and waited, kept working. But then when he didn't come out, I was like, I better go check on him, make sure he's not doing something he shouldn't do. And so I eventually wandered over to check up, and to my horror, he wasn't there. He wasn't in the basement. Are there any parents in here? Can you accurately describe the feeling of when you've lost your child? It's hard to put into words, but I literally felt like my heart grew three times as big as all of my adrenal glands just dumped into my bloodstream. And I began crying out his name, and I sprinted out of the basement, and I began running around the house to try to find Charlie. Now, what you need to know about my house is it's only feet away from a main road. We live in the city of Canandaigua. And he's not old enough yet to understand the dangers of wandering into oncoming traffic. And so there was legitimate risk in Charlie wandering up. And that's why I think I was so terrified. I was so scared that something was going to happen to him. And I honestly felt like I won the lottery when I came up around the house and he was sitting there just pulling on the car door handle in the driveway. And he was safe. I was so relieved. I don't know if you've ever had that feeling before. And I've just been trying this week, I've been trying to grasp how God must feel when he looks upon the earth and he sees so many of his kids lost. So many lost kids on this earth, all stumbling around into dangers that they're not even aware that they're going toward. And what we see from John 13 is that God went to the most extreme measures to ensure that his kids could be found. I couldn't think as a dad to give anything more than my whole self, my physical self to Charlie, That's exactly what God did in Jesus. He laid it all out there for his kids. I think what this is all boiling down to is that saved, transformed, and found people serve so that others may be found, transformed, and saved. There is a direct link between serving and reaching lost people for Christ. And if you're a follower of Jesus's, I want you to take a moment and just think back to how you even became one. Who was it that told you about Jesus? Who are the people that modeled a life in Christ? Who is that person? Who sacrificed their time, their talents? 
who spoke to you, who gave their resources to make sure that you knew that there was a God out there who loved you, who died for you, and who wanted to experience life alongside of you here and now and for all eternity. Who? Serving has eternal implications for the one who serves and for the one who is served. We've seen that we are blessed when we serve. Our lives are blessed by doing it. But when we serve others in Jesus' name, I'm telling you, they are blessed too. And I can tell you that from personal experience because a middle school Brian was blessed by dozens of people giving their time, their attention, their voices, and their modeling to me and told me about a God who loved me and who wanted to have a relationship with me. And I love how the Apostle Paul describes this correlation that we've been seeing. And I I can't quite do it justice, so I'm going to read it for you. But I think Paul really does position himself as a servant because he realizes the significance of Jesus washing him and what that means. He's been found, he's been transformed, and he's been saved through godly service. And this is what he has to say about it. In 1 Corinthians 9.19, it says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not myself being under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. And I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them and its blessing. This verse is like so convicting because I really do believe that Paul fully understands just how incredible salvation in Jesus' name is and it completely changes his life. And he says here, I'm giving everything I have so that others may come to know the saving relationship that I also have with the Father. The natural trade-off to this profound freedom that Paul felt through his salvation was to freely and joyfully serve others with everything that he had so that they may come to know the very God that changed everything for him. And he made himself a servant to all, and what we see is he did everything short of sin to make sure that people could experience the same blessing that he did. He used his time, his intellect, his skills, his resources, his attention, his voice to serve many so that they may know Jesus. And that really challenges me because I don't think I'm there quite yet. So how do we respond to all of this? How do we respond to this concept of being washed by the blood of Jesus and that being a profound correlation and a direct link to why we're called and commanded to serve so that others may come to know Jesus the way that we might? I don't know where you are all at spiritually today. I don't know how any of this has impacted you personally, but here's what I do know. In Isaiah 55, God says, it's the same with my word. I send it out and it will always produce fruit. God's word will always accomplish what he wants it to and it will prosper everywhere he sends it. And so this morning, I'm just trusting that God's word has been sent out accurately and it will accomplish what it needs to in your life. And so I'm going to invite the worship team to come back out here, and we're going to create some just very intentional response time where we can just allow the Spirit of God to work in each and every one of us. Now, don't get freaked out by this moment of response. I'll give us some ideas of what we can do. But I do believe that the Lord's Word has been spoken and that He wants to accomplish what He wants it to, and I would hate for us to 
rush out of here for something and miss what God has for us in the present here and now. Some of you are here this morning and you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ in any capacity. And so for you, perhaps you just need to listen to this powerful song and its lyrics and contemplate the truth of a loving God who laid it all out there for you, who gave everything for you. For others, maybe you're a follower, but you haven't been doing much following lately and your life looks nothing like Jesus's. And so perhaps for you in this time, you need to repent and confess your sins and ask the Lord to show you the ways that you need to adjust your life, to live in obedience and to stop choosing disobedience. Some of you are here and I would also put myself in this camp and we've just grown apathetic in our faith in Christ. And because of that, there's no real desire to serve and to see others have what we have because what we have doesn't really seem that great. And so similarly, I'll ask that maybe we spend this time just repenting and asking God to give us fresh vision for the stunning salvation that he has given us in his name to remind us of how great that really is, that he has washed us clean, he's transformed us, he's saved us, and we have an opportunity to serve the world so that others may know the salvation that we have too. Others are here and you're just not sure what to do when it comes to serving because we don't wash feet anymore. And I love the various ministries of the Crosswinds' local church, and so I would always plug what we do here. And so perhaps for you, it's, it's jumping on a serving team, and our kids, our students, our adults, we, we seek to make sure every person that walks through these doors at least has an encounter with the saving reality of Jesus Christ. And so maybe that's you. Maybe you just gotta jump on a team. But I would hate for us to think that that's the only thing that God is calling us to because it's not. If we want to thrive, we must serve the world as Jesus did and commands. It goes much beyond just a program that we serve at. Although that is important, this is a way of life. And so for some of you in this room, it's just asking God to speak into you and to show you the ways that you can serve. The person you're gonna serve this week alone so that they may come to know the reality of the saving relationship that you also have with Jesus. Again, I don't know where you are all at, but I do ask that we let God use this time to work in how each of us need to be worked in this morning. God, thank you for my friends. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you gave us the example of washing feet. God, I don't know if I could humble myself and do what you did. And I think that's a problem. And so God, I ask you that in this moment that we are singing, that we're just listening, that we're on our knees, that we're praying, whatever we have to do, that God, you would arrest our attention that you would remind us of your goodness, that you'd give us fresh vision of salvation, and that, God, you would inspire us to obey the command to serve as you uh, as you modeled for us. And so, God, be with us in these moments as we just sit in your presence, and I ask that you work in us as you have to work. We pray this in your name.